Hey guys. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Selfie Show. Where we are bringing you the weekly dose of sweet and salty. I am Tori, the founder and now co-host of The Selfie Show. I am a nurse, blogger, and podcaster. And I am Sam. I'm a flight nurse, podcaster, powerlifter, and co-host of The Selfie Show. Today, we're off the clock with one of our favorite doctors, Dr. Stephanie. Yes. She's awesome. We had, um, I think, one of the most interesting conversations. We have not done a primary care from the woman's perspective. Mm Mm-hmm. And we get into a lot of topics today that I think are super relevant for a lot of people, a lot of conversations that we have not had here before. So I'm really excited about this episode. No, it's definitely good vibes and just very insightful. Yeah, I agree. I learned a lot today. Um, Okay, so this week's been a little nutty. Okay, fun fact. Last night, this is kind of funny. So I worked, Sam and I both worked last night. We did. And I get a message from her. uh, Was it at midnight? And you're like, Bitch, I'm at your hospital. I was dropping off a patient <laughs> at Tori's hospital. Yeah. But she was too busy to come out and see me. I know. I, I waited like so five minutes and then I was like, ah, These I don't darn know. babies. Yeah. But yeah. that would have been a fun little reunion. I know. It was so fun. And then our friend Mike was with you. So I missed you at our hospital. You were I literally know. on the same I floor. I was. I was right there. I think I was like standing in front of the NICU sign. Like, where are like, you? Like, where are you? Yeah, so we had a little passing last night because we haven't worked together in a while. Like, we haven't been in the same hospital for a while. I know. Oh, my gosh, because I used to see you on my, like, lunch break. Yeah, you used to bring me lunch. Yeah. We used to have Mm -hmm. dates. I miss those days. Now I will be in your area this week. Yes. (laughs) So excited. Um, Yeah, so this last week was super – I got back from my trip, and I worked an extra, like – I worked four shifts this week, which... You worked way too much. You need to chill. I don't know. Like, I will say this, too. Even, like, full-time hours, I I can't do it. Four twelves is gross. I'm it's, sorry. It's a lot. It's just, I'm, like, I think nine years into this, you and I both feel the same way, where it's just, it's, like... We did it for a long time. And Dude, I can barely make it through one twelve. Let's be real. Like, I'm <laughs> I done know. after that. I'm, like... I yeah. can't hang anymore. 10 years. I just, uh, just exhausted. Can't do it. Well, you know, I'm just, it's just, it's just a lot. I'm just extremely, extremely tired. Today, Coming back so. to work after being on a trip sucks balls. Yeah, that too. Like, I feel like it was like time change and then also like working four shifts. Yeah. And one week was not smart on me, on my part. But, um, yeah. So how's your week? Um, I'm working too much. I mean, Monday through Friday and then doing a 12 hour shift on the weekend. Yeah, that's is, nuts. Is not the vibe. You were in Vegas this week. I was in Vegas. Um, I like love getting to work in Vegas, to be honest. Yeah, it's super it's cool. A vibe. It's yeah. a vibe. There's so many good restaurants out there. And I feel like I just eat like an absolute queen. What, <laughs> so did, what was your favorite thing that you ate this week? Okay, I had mm, duck breast. Ooh. Smoked duck breast, but with like the fat pad on it. Whoa. It was honestly one of the best things I've ever had in my mouth. Oh. Like solid meat in my mouth. <laughs> You've had a lot of things in your mouth. A lot girl. Of, yeah, it was really good. Um, I've also just had a lot of really good sushi spots. Um, Todd English has this like restaurant out there that was new that we went and had some phenomenal sushi there. And then I, I don't know, I had really good just like everything. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Live. I'm, I'm very happy right now. You're living a, you're yeah. the life of a queen. But I do miss being home with my doggies. And I can tell they're being extra needy because I get into bed and Moses like will oh. lay on my chest and snuggle into my neck and then like try to like snuggle even deeper. Oh. And he like won't like 
like won't get off of me and i'm like okay i can tell he's like deprived of me it's like actually kind of sad oh i mean i kind of love this for you because it does validate how much your dogs love you (sighs) they do so i feel bad for them but they're living a good life my little 19 year old cousin is watching them so it's like they're getting spoiled they're getting like the extra yeah for sure yeah yeah we love that for them okay unpopular opinion all right this is a hot topic I mean, and I know everyone's talking about it, so it's not like we're jumping on the bandwagon, but I just have to say, having a mental illness is not an excuse for bad behavior. Absolutely. And, and I will validate that as someone we... It's we, the Kanye yes. West thing. Yeah. Like, he... And we joked about it. I know when it was, like, the Super Bowl, when he was first, like, unraveling, I was, like, eating it up. So I have to, like, actually go back and slap myself on the wrist for kind of enabling and engaging what I'm about to like talk shit on now because (laughs) I I was like oh my god like he's losing it and I'm like literally watching these unhinged posts and like can't turn away yeah and now I'm like dude this is scary Mm -hmm. like you are what you're harassing Kim and it's abusive I know and um there's a lot you know obviously like everyone's talking about it right now but speaking as someone who has been on the side of the family member who is mentally ill and is having harassing a a a former an ex or you know having these issues I can very much validate the fact that what you're saying is very true it is in it's it's the responsibility of that person and it is very scary for the other person my brother we -hmm. all know we've talked about this but we actually didn't get into the whole like aspect of him with his ex and the situation that happened but he was acting very inappropriately and we had to take away his social media we had to there was things that were going on that like were not okay you cannot harass someone and i i think I feel so bad for Kim because I do think she's probably been holding it together. She's mm-hmm. probably been really, you know, and she is a queen. I mean, she just really just keeps it going. She keeps her head on straight. But really deep down when you're a victim of something like this, it's so scary. It's so hard. You don't know what they're going to do. You don't know. You know, it's just it's very. When I feel like nerving. it's also putting it out there that it's OK for men, men not to- even just men, just any ex in general because I'm not even gonna gender assign this but in general that for someone to behave this way right after a breakup it's not it's not okay yeah that's like harassment right yeah and you know I mean it's 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 tough too I will say like as someone who loves the person who's harassing like okay because let's just talk about it like Kanye has stands right like Mm -hmm. he's got people for days he's got the people that will always be behind him but truly when you're a family member of it or it's just really hard to be a from that perspective like what do you do right like can you take it away like do, do you reg- like it's because technically they're not really doing anything physically wrong but harassment is not okay so it's, and where are the people in his corner that are like right like someone should be calling together. out like i felt the need as a sister when i realized everything that was going on i had to pull we had to pull the cord and we had to say like this is not okay well and when other celebrities have kind of called him on it he becomes absolutely unhinged on them right and just it's not it is scary to see because the escalation right and the fact that there's kids involved i don't know i honestly hate to see it i don't think it's like a funny joke anymore of like right. kanye is losing okay. it it's kind of like this is scary i 
genuinely feel bad for Kim Kardashian words I never thought I'd come out of my mouth because even last week I'm knocking her for how out of touch she is with the get your ass up and work it's like shut up bitch so I'm not even some Kim Kardashian <laughs> you know, like funny. whatever but as yeah. just watching a woman get harassed, harassed by their ex yeah so publicly so publicly is yeah. terrifying in my opinion yeah. and I genuinely feel for her yeah I agree it's funny too because I was thinking about that I was thinking back and I'm like shit why did we go for her and then not not Kanye like because I was kind of happy at the same time and I'm like is that just like our built-in like mindset mm-hmm. right it's like yeah. we're undoing shit we're learning here but I do think like very very transparently in terms of mental health like if you are I don't think it's okay and I think well, and I think a lot of people too will use their mental health illness yeah as a pass like a hall pass for certain behaviors and it's like okay that might explain why you did what you did or it might have contributed to your poor behavior but it's not an excuse and you need help you need therapy you need treatment you need whatever but you don't get to just act a certain way especially when it's threatening or harmful to other people's lives and then just go well I have a mental illness like no Mm -hmm. do better yeah 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 and I want to validate that because I think that's a very the weight like that's unpopular right that that my idea but it's like taking ownership for it and speaking from someone who's been in that experience I will say 100% and Vincent would validate this as someone who's been through something like this for their manic episodes and has gone through you know multiple DUIs was arrested all the things like he looking back on it is like wow you know you taking ownership for it but it's it's hard to watch and it's hard to really like and I get it and he I just think what concerns me is is there no one in his corner really trying to help him is what I think is the problem I think that's the problem with being a celebrity is everyone's a yes man I mean, right look at and like it's... what happened to Michael Jackson and some of these biggest celebrities people are just around saying yes 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 and enabling it and it spirals to yeah and that's, and that's why so many celebrities have their lives end so tragically like I just think like okay if his mom was here because you know how, how close he was with his mom like she would for sure yank the chain like you could tell that was the kind of mom that he had and I feel like that's the kind of person like I don't know did you watch the documentary no Netflix I feel like she kind of knew he was off and kind of like enabled him a little bit in the sense where it was like well Kanye is Kanye and this you know what we did the same thing with Vincent yeah we did the same shit I will say that like validate that like because you just kind of you're like oh they that's just how they are you know and that's how they are to a certain degree but it doesn't have to be right so I don't yeah. know. That's my unpopular opinion. It is definitely I love it. interesting to see this play out because I feel like we're seeing something that we shouldn't be seeing. Yeah. Like certain things are not for the internet and not for the public. And I get that you're a public figure, but we don't need to see that kind that. of spiral yeah. is, you know, he needs help. He needs true help yeah. is what it is. And I hope whoever's in his corner. Watch him hear about our little like nothing podcast and go on a rampage <laughs> about us on Instagram. I'd be so flattered. Kanye. We the haters would come. Yeah, Kanye. We would get all the Kanye. <laughs> He's got stands, man. Oh God. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna get into it with Dr. Stephanie. This yeah, week. so Stephanie is a Latina first generation American working as a primary care physician. She's an advocate for diversity in medicine and public health. Currently, she's working on several projects that aim to increase health equity and positively impact non-English speakers, one of which involves community members sharing their cultural beliefs and practices with providers. 
Dr. Stephanie's parents immigrated from Colombia, and she speaks about her journey as a new doctor, the being the first in her family to attend college and also go into medicine. And we're also getting into something really interesting today about her experience um, with autoimmune arthritis. She's a huge advocate for per, for prevention, mental wellness, and compassion in healthcare. And I just think like primary care physicians are really, they're the gatekeepers, right, of healthcare. And today she brings in so many amazing topics for us today. So without further ado, let's get into it with Dr. Stephanie. Start us off spicy. What is your unpopular opinion? What is one of my unpopular opinions? I think, especially like in the field that I'm in, is being able to like talk about what you're going through. You know, I think in the healthcare field in general, and especially in medical school and beyond, there's just this idea that you need to be invincible all the time. And like, that's the way you make it places. And you like, can't let people know that you're struggling. And I think that that's just such a ludicrous way to go about life. You know, like we're all human, we all go through things. And when we don't share our experiences, I think it makes you feel alone, but it also makes other people going through that exact same thing feel alone too and like they're the only ones going through that it's so interesting because so obviously we found you typical way through instagram (laughs) a long time ago and i a lot of your posts it's so funny because you just touched my soul with so many of the things that you talk about. And I just think that's such an interesting piece of you, but you're so dynamic. There's so many pieces of you. For people who don't know you or are unfamiliar, can you tell us a little bit about your journey, your background, and you know your medical beginnings and all those fun things? Yeah, sure. So I think like with every child of immigrants, my story starts with my family because they're the reason I've been able to do a lot of what I've do and what I've done. But both of them are from Colombia and they came here and basically almost lost their lives in the process, got held at gunpoint, lost everything that they had on them, came here and started off in a family member's garage and had a pretty rough start, you know, to their American dream of a better life. You know, I think everyone comes here with that idea. And sometimes you don't realize how hard it's going to be to get where you want to be. But they struggled a lot. And I think one of the things that led to me becoming a doctor was my mom didn't have, obviously, the ability to go to a doctor, they couldn't afford food, etc. So my mom didn't know she was pregnant and lost her first kid. And that like led to a lot of trauma that I think is still unresolved to this day, but was something she told me about and like was always kind of in the back of my mind. They both barely finished high school. My dad dropped out for a bit to help the family. And then when they got here, you know, despite their hardships always made it a priority for me to focus on my studies and my journey and like be whoever I wanted to become. And throughout all of like my education, you know, it's hard when your parents don't understand the system, don't know the system, can't really help you out in ways. So having to figure that all out on my own was 
pretty hard. It was also hard, like coming from a Latino family, your family is the most important thing. And so it led to even more, I think, like things that people don't think about in like immigrant households is this idea that like, if you're away from home, helping other people or doing other things that advance like your career, like volunteering or research or anything that like you're out of the house for or studying, it can be an issue because you're expected to like have time for your family and help out in the house and that kind of thing. So there was a lot of like teaching them what it takes to like become someone here, right? Is like what you want to do, what they want you to do. But like, despite all of that, my dad was always like, you're going to focus on school. Like, don't worry about anything. I'll take care of you. And like somehow always managed to do that, which is part of the reason I say like, you know, all the degrees I have. So like I got a bachelor's in psychology and a minor in chemistry in Florida, which is where we like, I grew I was born in California And then we moved to Florida when I was a teenager. Um, And that's where I like got my bachelor's. I did a master's in public health there. And I also went to a medical school. And throughout all that time, like he was always supporting me, you know, and and my mom was too. Like they're my number one supporters and would like meet me up at school and bring me homemade food or like, you know, uh, help out with bills or things like that. So I wouldn't have to get a job while I was studying. So... I think, you know, that's them a lot doing of dedication that, oh my, from lot. their part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> absolutely. It's funny, like on my interview trail for like residency, I kind of talked about them in my personal statement and like people would bring it up and I would not be able to like hold back the tears of just like how proud I was of them more than myself, you know, like you, like this is what you came here for and like you helped me do this you know like this is ours and not just mine like it brings tears to my eyes now sorry (laughs) makes me so emotional but yeah that's like a big part of my journey and I think seeing that and like watching them always give to others even when they had not much to give like really made me someone who wanted to do that for the rest of my life you know and part of that also came into play with like why I chose medicine, you know, our job is to take care of other people and be there for them in like their most vulnerable times. And like, it's something I'm very honored to do every day. That's amazing. Did you always go into school? Like even when you were doing your undergrad and your bachelor's in psychology with the idea of going into medicine or when did that come into play? Yeah. So I think, (laughs) you know, I think as like when you're young, you have a lot of ideas of what you're going to be, you know? So like my mind was like a million different ways. Like I always loved fashion and thought about that for a while and like becoming a doctor or like working in philanthropy or psychology, which is where like the psych degree comes in. And I didn't know exactly what way I wanted to go for quite some time. And I think I like in really my first year of college came to the realization that like, uh, not fashion really, but like that could be like a side thing. But like the realization that the philanthropy work, the psychology, all that stuff that I was into was something I could do as a doctor. And then it's kind of how I decided like, okay, this is what I'm going to focus on. And like, this is what I'm going to do um, and really hold into that. In terms of becoming a doctor and like going through your journey, Can you take us through a little bit of, you know, the ups and downs with it and, you know, things that you maybe you you overcame or, you know, a little bit about your journey becoming a doctor? Yeah. um, So I think 
part of like having immigrant parents and like, you know, being part of like a, a low income household for most of your life is that you don't really have access to mentors when it comes down to the medical field. Like I didn't know any Latinx doctors. I didn't have family members that were in medicine, like in healthcare in any level. So I really had to figure that all out on my own and, you know, finding like scholarships and stuff like that was something I really had to work on starting in high school. And I did, I like worked my butt off <laughs> um, to, to do stuff like that. And I think that's like part of the hardship. And I always, I think, struggled with like depression and anxiety, but didn't know the words for it because it wasn't something you talked about in my household. And I like, you know, obviously had my ups and downs with my like mental health and didn't really know what it was about. And I think one of the like biggest things I overcame in that front was in medical school. And one of the reasons I talk about it so much, especially on my platform, is like I always worked really hard to like be where I was. So I felt the need to like constantly be perfect. Like I had to get the straight A's. I had to be involved in everything. And that's kind of what I had made myself used to. And, you know, medical school is a whole nother beast. <laughs> and like, I think along our journey, people make the mistake of saying like, well, once you get here, it gets better. Once you get here, it gets better. And the truth is it doesn't. It gets different. <laughs> like yeah. it just gets different, you know? Right. And that's something I realized. <laughs> so, so, you know, in that trying to be perfect thing, like I just, I couldn't, you know, like I got C's, I got grades that like I, I wasn't used to getting and I, you know, would study endlessly and not get the result that I wanted. And that ended up with me just having basically a breakdown. I had like a whole week where I didn't sleep and ended up very anxious and like had to go to the emergency room <laughs> because it was, you know, it was so bad. And at that point was like, when I was like, okay, I need to figure this out. Like whatever this is that's happening, why ever, like I'm feeling like this, you know, I need to understand it. And it wasn't until then that like I started seeking help and really like trying to understand what I was going through or like the traumas in my past that made me feel, you know, that constant need to be perfect. And it's funny because I did study psychology, you know, you would think that I'd be a little, yeah, like a little more in tune with like, you know, my own things. But I think I was always just busy looking out and trying to help other people that I just did not realize what I was going through, you know? And so getting through that and moving on and like still finishing med school on track and all of that jazz, like I think is something really important, you know, that I was able to overcome. And then obviously, you know, something that like you're aware of too, because of, again, that my thing of like, if I'm going through this, I need to be vocal about it. But like my chronic pain and my chronic health issues, you know, it wasn't diagnosed until I was in med school. So like that was really hard. And 
I can't say I overcame that yet because it's a daily thing, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually a really interesting aspect of you too, because we've actually had a couple of people who have reached out who also struggle with chronic conditions, not just, you know, in addition to mental health. But I'm curious, from an autoimmune stance, can you speak about that a little bit and your experience and diagnosis and just sort of the things that you're doing to overcome those things and how that applies to your practice maybe? Yeah. So I think one of the Maybe, maybe it's like a way of coping with things, but I think it also is very true is that when you're a provider and you have your own health conditions to deal with, it makes you very in tune and very understanding of your patients and their journey and where they're at in that journey. And, you know, sometimes I don't share too much with my patients, but I like do tell them I understand and like, hey, I get it. Like I go through X or Z in, in moments where they feel like, you're just a doctor. You don't understand. <laughs> and I'm like, well, actually, like, you know, X, Y, Z, and it, and it helps. But with that being said, for my like chronic condition, I started with basically experiencing pain in my body that I didn't know where it was coming from when I was 13. My parents tried to like help get answers and we couldn't find any because, you know, autoimmune conditions and things in rheumatology, we know so little about, especially, wow, how long ago? That was uh, 17 years ago. (laughs) Sorry, just realizing how old I am. (laughs) I'm right there with you. (laughs) But, you know, people would like look for the regular rheumatological factors. And when they didn't find that, say they had no idea what I had and I just kind of had to move on. And so something that started with like pain in my wrists turned into like back pain, knee pain, you know, all these kinds of body things that I was experiencing that I never understood. And with autoimmune conditions, stress makes it worse. So in college and then in med school, in med school, it got really, really bad. My body was in a constant state of inflammation. Um, And it wasn't until, you know, and this is one of the reasons why I love being like a doctor of osteopathy, but I went to see one of the doctors at our school for manual manipulation. And when I started telling her my symptoms and when they started and the things I was experiencing, she was just like, this doesn't make sense. You're too young for all of these things. You know, we need to do like a real thorough workup of what could be going on with you. And so at that point in time, she did like a one hour history of like all the things I had been through and that kind of stuff and sent me to the rheumatologist at the school. And he did an intensive, like, you know, I called him a vampire because he threw like (laughs) so much blood, Um, but ended up finding out, you know, that I was HLA B27 positive, that I had a bunch of the things that like would qualify me, including my symptoms for autoimmune inflammatory spondyloarthritis, which, you know, at this point in time, we think is probably psoriatic in nature, even though I don't really have the skin condition portion as much. But, you know, it was a long journey figuring out what I had. And after that, it's been kind of a journey figuring out how to best treat it. So, you know, I've been through all like the anti-inflammatories. I've trialed several biologics and I'm currently on one that is helping, I think. 
And, you know, besides like the medicine portion, exercise is really something I have to do. And like the nutrition part too, like when I don't eat well, my body feels it. And when I don't exercise, you know, um, my body feels it too. It's this very weird balance I have to keep because I have arthritis, but on the other side, my joints are also hypermobile. So I need to like constantly balance like how much strength training I do and how much stretching I do. And sometimes like that balance tips more one way or the other and I end up like with more pain. So it's hard, you know? It's like constant pain every day, wearing heating pads or ice to try to make it better. Yeah. I can't say it's fun. (laughs) Do you think that one doctor from your school like played kind of an integral role in getting that figured out? And do you think it had anything to do with it being like a female? Because... I don't know if like right. this is something you've experienced, but I feel like even me right now trying to get to the bottom of some both health and mental health stuff, I've had some very like dismissive... Sorry, my lisp, you guys. <laughs> I cannot talk <laughs> today. <laughs> Freaking Dennis, I have a lisp. I have been very dismissive of things I'm telling them or symptoms. And I'm like, I just wonder if I had a female provider, would they be a little more likely to take my symptoms seriously? And I know this is something other women have kind of experienced as well. Bias, right? Yeah, I think, unfortunately, you know, there medicine is full of biases. And, you know, I think we're all constantly trying to fight them and, and overcome them, but it's a struggle and it's a journey. And I think there is bias towards, you know, females talking about symptoms sometimes because, you know, when they're nonspecific, people tend to kind of just throw them to the wayside. And the reality is that, you know, I think we all need to come to medicine with like this humble idea of like, we are only scratching the surface of what our bodies are and what our bodies experience. And I think, you know, I obviously will never say that all men do that, but like there are studies that indicate that like some women do have more of that detail-oriented view for conditions, you know? And there was a paper that came out saying that like people who were treated by female physicians in the hospital versus male physicians or in the ET, like, you know, they were less likely to lose their lives. And, you know, there it, there's probably some truth to that, but it's, you know. And I don't I, say that's like male bash. Like we have had right, some no. amazing male doctors on here at right. all. So I don't want to like be putting out the wrong idea. No, I just exactly. think, no, we um, all know that yeah. where, you know, you've had a particular doctor that you go to and they're just kind of like, they mm, blow it off. Mm, mm, and that does happen. And you're I like, mean, I, something is not right. And right. I don't know exactly how to explain what isn't right, but I know right. me and my body. Yeah. yeah. And I know that something's off. Totally. And I think, you know, there are a lot of, of females that like ignore those things too. You know, um, I, I think that what happens sometimes is that, and I think especially now that unfortunately so many people in medicine are jaded with this pandemic and everything that's going on is just like, sometimes I think people have a hard time just believing the patient. Like if there isn't a lab that's showing me something, if there isn't something concrete to tell me that this is going on, then, and I'm just going to keep going on and like, you know, kind of be dismissive of it. And 
maybe they don't even think that they're being dismissive of it. They're just like focusing on the things that are concrete, you know, like, well, your labs look fine and your imaging is fine. And so there's nothing there. And that's, you know, that's not always the case. We're finding that out more with like fibromyalgia, IBS, like, you know, like mental right, a health, lot of chronic, a lot of right, chronic conditions yes. that like, do we know it in its entirety? No, but it doesn't mean it's not there. Mm-hmm. Do you have any top mythbusters that you want to bust about living with like a chronic condition? All right. I know you guys are super stoked to learn if you're nerds like us, but this is a former college professor approved. We're talking about Picmonic. Yes, I have used it and you guys, we are so thrilled for this partner. Picmonic is an audio visual learning platform designed for healthcare students, including nurses, MDs, DOs, CNAs, LPNs, and the like. And it is the study tool of choice for learning thousands of the most difficult to remember and most frequently tested topics, board exam prep, and also uses questions centered on evidence-based learn review quiz formats. They're honestly quick and effective two-minute videos. They connect difficult-to-remember facts with unforgettable characters. They tie everything together with like memorable stories mm-hmm. you cannot forget once you run through these they reinforce what you've learned and then they give you these built-in rapid review multiple choice quizzes you know how helpful that is as someone who's personally used picmonic i can actually tell you guys i love their program i think it's so effective you can go through whether it doesn't matter whatever you're you're testing for it can be electrolytes it can be um, just concepts that you're going through trust me they also have an NCLEX workbook and um, nurse cheat sheets to help pair with the app which I think is a really good way for them to kind of tie it all in and honestly anything that can get you through the NCLEX we know is amazing <laughs> it is well worth it yes so join over 1.32 million students who have used their quick and efficient picture mnemonic study aids head over to picmonic.com use the code selfie to get 20 percent off you guys again that's www.picmonic.com and use the code selfie all right how's your water intake Good, thank God, because I'm on shift five of six right now, and I'm about to just lose it. You I've know? been seeing you carry around that hydro jug, though, at yes. work. Yes, I'm staying hydrated, you know, at the nurse's station, just keeping it real. You guys know we are obsessed with hydro jug. These are great reusable jugs, and obviously... They have three amazing options. They have their Pro Hydro Jug, a stainless steel hydro jug, and as well as a glass hydro jug. The stainless steel is my personal favorite, and it holds up to like a half gallon Mm -hmm. of water. It has a leak-proof seal. There's this big wide mouth opening that makes it easy to add ice to it, or if you want to be bougie and add a little fruit. Yeah. It also has like this internal straw that you... So you don't have to like. It's so easy. It's so easy to suck it up. I, I know this is going to get weird, but <laughs> trust me, it's we like love it. the easiest thing. And there's seriously like so many different color combinations. I have the like pearl one that mm-hmm. is so With pretty. the Barbie pink top. And looks like a mermaid. Know, but it. it's and easy to carry around. Obsessed. Obsessed. It also has an integrated handle, uh, leak proof seal. And let me tell you guys, when you put it down there, you know, when you put it down, it's like not moving anywhere. It's fabulous. We are obsessed with our hydro jugs. So if you guys are interested in joining the hydro jug, 
phenomenon, head over to thehydrodug.com, use code SELFIE, that's C-E-L-L-F-I-E, to get 10% off of your order today. Again, head over to thehydrodug.com, use code SELFIE, and snag your hydrodug. Drink your water. Get hydrated. (sighs) (laughs) Where to start? Where to start? Well, I think one of the things, and again, one of the reasons I'm so open about having a chronic condition is the fact that like you can't do this work with one. Like, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it sucks. (laughs) And some days are way harder than others, but it doesn't mean that you're not able to do it, you know? And I think that that's something that I've struggled with trying to define or or maybe like overcome in, in being open about it and like still trying to be, you know, a really hardworking resident and like all these other things. Like you are able to like do whatever you want. You just have to find out what works for you. And, you know, sometimes that might mean having to take a day when other people don't, but that doesn't mean that like you're not going to be good at your job and that you're not already like, you know, doing a lot and, and being good at it. I think like that's probably one of the biggest things for me. Yeah. In terms of your day-to-day, I'm just really curious, like how do you, do you have any tangible tips of for people who, you know, if they're struggling with their mental health or they're struggling through a chronic condition, like what are some things that you do in your life to help optimize your life, you know, to yeah. the best that you can? <laughs> well, and like, being honest, right? Because there's no point in sugarcoating it. I, I don't always do the right things, right? Right, like, right. And, and there are times where I, I, I don't do like what is best for me. And I think like that's important for people to know too. Like there, this is a journey. It's like there are ups and downs. There's no straight path to any of this. But some of the things that have really worked for me on like all fronts is like self-care. And I know that everyone throws that word around, but like self-care doesn't mean going to a spa. You know what I mean? Like for some of us, it does. And like, is that lovely? Absolutely. (laughs) But like, it's so much more than that. And I think having a sit down with yourself, like as often as you can, for some people, it might be once a year for some people, like every day and just being like, what's important for me today? And what will help me feel better right now? Like, is my body asking me to go and do some exercise, you know? Or like, do I need to just sit down, have some tea and watch TV? It just, I think what helps me the most is knowing that what I'm going to need is going to be different every day. And it's not always going to look the same, you know? And the other thing I would say too is, don't worry about asking for help and, you know, thinking that that makes you look weak. Cause I think people feel like that's a thing. And especially those of us who are used to always taking care of other people or, you know, not giving us ourselves like the time of day or not asking for help. Like that is probably the best thing you can do for yourself and for everyone around you, you know, because obviously the saying is, almost overused now, but like you can't pour from an empty cup. And if you're struggling, if your mental health is struggling, if your physical health is struggling, there's going to be a point where either of those things gives up on you. And like, you won't be able to keep doing what you're doing. And asking someone to help you is a sign of strength rather than a sign of weakness, because you're doing something that like, you don't feel comfortable doing. And like living in an area of discomfort is... You have to like be strong to be able to do that. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Sam and I talk about that a lot here. And obviously, you know, kind of like what you're saying, it's more of do what we say and not what we do, because yeah. oftentimes we're not even taking our own advice. But no, I think it's interesting and it's dynamic, right? Like some weeks you need a little more time than others. Some weeks you're going to need different different things to kind of help you get through that week. Because it's interesting because I do feel like I feel you so much in the sense of I've had some pretty deep, dark holes and I don't go, I don't, I'm not as open about them, but I do really, and Sam and I, Sam and I both struggle with a certain amount of, I would say, anxiety, depression in different ways. And what I love about it is that you're talking about it, but you're speaking about it from a physician standpoint. I think it's really important for physicians to have that presence and to talk about it and to, you know, help kind of drive the message forward of, you know, how can we help ourselves? And, you know, we all go through these things. In terms of your primary care, do you have any tips or things that you can offer the audience when they're seeking out a primary care physician or things that you feel like would be pertinent for them to know when they're going to their primary care physician? Yeah, absolutely. I think anytime doctor doesn't listen to you, it's a red flag. You know, so I know you're saying like, who to who to choose, but I guess I'm going with the who to not choose. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> or when it's okay to switch. You I know? think people are yeah, afraid yeah. to like switch if yeah. someone isn't a good fit. They're like, oh, well, this is my doctor. And now it, I maybe it doesn't, isn't a good fit, but, and then they stay and it's right. like, no, fine, switch it up. Mm-hmm, yeah. And mm-hmm. I've seen that so much. And I think that people need to know, like you said, like it's totally okay to switch. Like we're not all the same. Not all doctors are the same. We don't all think the same way. And you're not going to like just magically mesh with your doctor because they're a doctor or, you know, your nurse practitioner because they're a nurse practitioner. Like you should be comfortable enough when you meet a person, whether it's that day or in the future, but to meet them and say, you know what, like, this is someone I could talk to about anything. And maybe I don't feel comfortable talking about it today, but I feel like in time I will. If you don't have that feeling, then you need a different person to be taking care of you. Because, yeah, because I think like the beautiful thing that like for me as a primary care doctor that I've been able to, like the connection that I establish with patients is unreal, but I think it's only unreal because they trust me and talk to me about things that they've never felt comfortable sharing with other people or, you know, have this symptom that they're like, I don't know what this is. And like, I haven't brought it up before or like I brought it up, but no one has been listening to me about it. Like you should have that with the person taking care of you because that's the only way that a primary care doctor can help you is if they know what's going on and if they believe your symptoms or believe your worries. Yeah, I think that's really, really good. Okay, so I have a question that maybe I think that people, it's a, it's a definitely something that I think is very important, but I think gets overlooked. And it's the idea of like evidence-based research, obviously, but with supplements for something in terms of mental health. So my head goes to like things like vitamin D and GABA and fatty acids and probiotics. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, obviously you're someone that, you know, this is very personal to you, but I'm curious if there's any good evidence-based research or things that we should be considering if 
you know, we're also going through things like mental health or, you know, chronic conditions and things like that. Totally. I think there actually is, I've taken some classes in integrative medicine and there actually is a lot of research in that area. And I'm I can't find where your faces went on my computer. (laughs) But there's a lot of research in that area. And, you know, there are, again, like you said, natural ways to to help our immune system, our inflammatory status, and like our mental health. And like you said, the fatty acids thing is, is one of the ones that I've actually seen quite a bit of research in for things like inflammation or pain. And to some degree also, so mental health. And one of the things, you know, that I think we overlook sometimes is sunlight, you know, like it's mm. crazy. What is that? that? <laughs> yeah. 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 Especially I'm in, I'm in Massachusetts and the sun has been going yeah, down like at like 3, 4 p.m. So, sorry, my stuff, stop recording. Sunlight itself okay. is actually such a great way to boost Well, I bought this computer before yeah. this podcast ever existed. <laughs> if I ever knew I was going to do a podcast, <laughs> I would have bought one with an yeah. insane amount of storage. So, <laughs> yeah, lesson right, learned. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think so that, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll just pose it again really quick. Yeah. So, in terms of probiotics, are there any suggestions or things that you see in terms of gut health? Because I know gut health is becoming a really big topic that, you know, people are talking about, you know, these days. And I think it's important to talk about. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Like, I think probiotics is one of those things that I'm, I don't know that I want to say I'm on the fence about, but there's so much research both ways, right? Like, there's no research that it harms you. So it like, I wouldn't say, no, don't take that. But there's competing evidence as to whether or not it actually has a benefit for people, whether or not it makes a difference. And I think like, this is one of those things in medicine where you're in the gray, you know, and like, that's the beauty of medicine for me, where there part of it is science, but part of it is art, you know, where it will work for some people and it makes a difference. And then for other people, it's just like, "Mm, I, why am I doing this or why am I taking this? And I think probiotics is something like when people have a lot of gut issues, I definitely recommend. And I say, let's try this and see if it helps, Um, you know, with like that idea of it, it can definitely be beneficial, but you know, it's not for certain. And I think there's there's a lot of gray areas in medicine, especially with supplements. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's one of them. Yeah, it's so interesting because, I mean, I'm just speaking from personal experience because I've struggled through a lot of GI things. So I actually just recently started retaking a probiotic that we had one of the founders on for. I started taking it again because I was having mm-hmm. such bad issues. And I see, for yeah. me personally, a really big difference, but it is interesting. And I love the point that you bring up is one thing that would work for one person may not work for the other. So it's like, it's this art and, you know, I think getting to the root for each patient and having sort of that tailored approach is huge. Yeah. And I think that that's probably why, you know, now they're putting a a name to it, but like this individualized medicine, you know, like there's, there's two ways of approaching medicine and two hats you kind of have to have of a, as a, a medical caregiver. And that's the like public health standpoint, but then also the individual patient, right? Because there are things that are important to know from a 
group perspective. But then you also have to remind yourself every time you go into a room that like this patient is not like the other one, even if they have similarities. And, you know, if I put them on my favorite antidepressant, it might not work for them, you know, and I may have to use a different one or pain, you know, is another one of those. What works for one won't work for another one. And I think, you know, we need to think about that and be honest with our patients too about that in the process. Like, hey, we're going to try this. We'll trial it for X amount of time. If you feel like it's not working for you, please don't just stop and give up on this. Like we'll find an answer together and we'll make you feel better together. And I think patients don't hear that often. Can we clone you? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, Stephanie, I need to come see you. I'm like, oh, this is, that's, yeah, yeah. I love that mindset. I think it's great. Do you think as far as like mental health goes and from a primary doctor perspective that enough people actually present those issues to their primary? Because I think a lot of people don't. like don't bring that up. They think it's just like, oh, go get my annual pap or physical yeah. and like keep it moving, not realizing how much you guys can actually do for them or even then refer them out to other resources as well. Yeah, and I, I love that you brought that up because... That is my why for primary oh, care. Love that. Oh, yes. I saw myself as a gatekeeper, right? And if this happened to me, I think it was in high school where I was shadowing a pediatrician because at some point I thought I was going to be a pediatrician and not a family care doctor. But I wasn't a regular like well child check for a patient. And there was a mom and the doctor like knew her well enough to notice that something was up. And the long of the short was we found out that she was being physically abused by her husband and we were able to give her the resources and, you know, all of that and help her from like a primary care visit that wasn't even for her. And I think that was one of the moments to me that made me realize like, do I want to be a psychologist, a psychiatrist or a primary care doctor? And I realized like, a lot of those people that really need to see the psychologist or the psychiatrist never make it there because they won't look for that kind of help or they don't know that they need that kind of help. And especially now with the pandemic, like when I tell you at least 70, 75% of my patients have anxiety or depression, like I might be underestimating it. And I don't always find this out because they tell me. Sometimes it's that, like, you know, they feel comfortable enough with me or they say something and it triggers me to ask like, hey, so, you know, what's going on or how have you been feeling about whatever? But other times, like what I've been doing is like the GAD7 and the PHQ9, anytime I have a new patient or like a patient that I haven't seen in a while, I have my MA give them those forms. And like, if they can't verbalize, hey, I'm depressed or hey, I'm anxious, they can circle something that says like, I've been having trouble sleeping or I have been experiencing like less interest in the things that I like usually like to do, right? Because again, some of us don't have the words for how we're feeling. Like we may not have grown up in a household that openly talked about it. We like may not be someone who's ever given those thoughts a second thought, you know? So I think that 
people should feel comfortable bringing those things up to their primary care doctor. A lot of us are trained enough to be able to take care of those conditions in the primary care setting. And if we're not, like like you said, we can connect you with someone in the community that can help even better with what's going on with mm-hmm. you. Me too. In terms of just a quick tip or maybe a couple tips for someone who's going to a primary care doctor for the first time, do you have any good suggestions for them or good questions they should bring or, or things that they should consider when they see their primary care? Yeah, I think like a, what a lot of people don't do and I think is important to do is do like a meet and greet visit. You know, a lot of us wait until we have issues to see our doctor. Uh And like, you might already have issues when you go, you know, but when you come in with acute complaints, it's very hard to get to know you, who you are, what your story is, and like the stuff you've been through. And you spend a lot of time focusing on the acute stuff, but you don't get to the chronic stuff that may actually be like affecting your health in ways that you didn't even realize it, you know? And so I think the most important thing when you're establishing care is to do a meet and greet. And like during that time, your doctor should be asking you like about yourself, about your journey, like, you know, your sure, your past medical history and stuff as well. But like a lot of those things. The other thing I would say too, is to make sure that the doctor that you're seeing like aligns with your views about things. So if you have like anything very specific that you want or care about or a very specific way in which you want your care delivered, it's important to let your doctor know that and make sure that they're on that same page with you and are like willing to accommodate what it is you want. And then I think the, you know, like we had mentioned before is feeling like this is someone that you can trust with whatever you're going through and can open up to and be vulnerable with because really when we are talking to someone that's taking care of us, that's like our most vulnerable state, right? Like we're expecting this person to help us figure out our problems and you need to be able to be comfortable enough to talk about everything. Like talk about your sex life, talk about your mental health, talk about your poops, like all of these things, you know, because the reality is, is as primary care doctors, like we are there to help you with all those things, or we should be, right? Because I, I acknowledge that not every primary care doctor is the same, but like we should be able to talk about all those things with you. Right, right. So a big piece that I really love of you and obviously how we found you is social media. And I'm just curious, like, you know, let's talk a little bit about that, like getting into social media, your Instagram and things like that. How did this all start? Uh, So I think like I've always understood and like this is even years back that the best way to affect change in society is through media. Most people get their health information from the internet, from social media, from TV shows. And so if you want to make a larger impact, not just on the patients you see, but on a larger scale, you kind of have to be involved in it in some way or another. And I always knew that, but have always had a hard time getting into it. And like being honest, even now as a quote unquote, social media presence, (laughs) which like still makes me, you know, kind of uncomfortable. 
I like have a hard time staying consistent, you know, because of all my ups and downs in my life and all the struggles I have on the daily and all of the work I do behind the camera. And I'm trying to balance it better. And I do have an idea of like being even more involved in the future. But the main goal I had with starting my platform, which by the way, I have no idea how to run a social media account. Like I know nothing about anything. And like, I'm always humbled by the fact that I have so many people following my journey. I'm like, I guess I have something to say because it's not like my pictures or anything else that they're here for. Um, But, you know, one of my biggest whys for it, other than like, all the things we've talked about, right? Like mental health, chronic conditions, like kind of myth busting, right? On on the internet for those things, it's being the person that I needed when I started this journey. You know, growing up without a mentor, you know, and thankfully now in like my program, I've found a lot of mentorship and have been able to do really incredible things, but I didn't have that before. And it made getting to where I am that much harder. And so I wanted people to see like this Latinx person who came from like immigrant parents who lived in a low income setting, who didn't have doctors around her, who has mental health issues, who has chronic condition, like was still able to become a doctor. That means that you can do that too. Yeah, like, it's powerful. I'm not, I'm not special. Right. You know, like we we can all do this. And I like want to be vis- visible for you so that you know that someone like you can also do this or any other thing that they want to do. Yeah, I think Sam and I talk about that a lot too. Mm-hmm. Like kind of almost being the person that we wish that we had had in yeah. this space, you know. I think that's big. I mean, I, and that's why I love everything about you. You're so dynamic. There's just so many pieces of you that I think, you know, that's why I love you. You're, you're relatable in a lot of different ways. Well, I think social media still gets this like kind of taboo of like, you're either oversharing or you're like sharing too much just for like attention or like clout or whatever. But it's like, no, people want to see someone that is like them, that looks like them or comes from the same background as them to be like, this is relatable. This is me. I can do this too. And I think that's huge. And we didn't have access to that growing up. No. Like none of us, because we only had access to what was presented on TV. Right. And this and, is what was given to you. Right. And we don't have access to real people or real stories that aren't perfectly curated by the media. And now we do have that opportunity. And that's why I personally just love yeah. the space so much. Right. And like just the idea of someone looking at you saying, wow, this is a first generation person. She's been through all of these things. These are the things that she's living with. Like, I think this is just very, it's a strong message. Everything that you're doing. I, I love it. Speaking to anyone just in general, like, do you have any good pieces of advice? for them just of how to live like good pieces of advice for their life just three things that you think are really good and important oh three (laughs) things oh my (laughs) I think one thing that's really important in that I'm still trying to kind of adapt into my life and like live by this fully is the idea of like you living for yourself and not 
being who other people want you to be or imagine you to be. I think I had a really hard time getting over that. And I still kind of do. Like I'm the eldest in my family. Like I had a bunch of things I was supposed to be or am supposed to be. And uh, every time I wasn't, I got really affected by it, you know? And as I've gotten older, maybe now that I'm in my thirties, <laughs> I've, uh, I've, you know, I've just realized like, you don't have to be everyone's cup of tea. Like, it's not worth it to live your life as the shadow of like a shadow or a, a part of who you are for other people because your happiness is truly all that matters. And you could never be happy or fully live to your fullest potential if you're doing it for somebody else or stopping yourself from doing things for other people. I think that's a really big one for me. I think another one is making time for you. <laughs> and I think like, right, that's like, we all talk about it, but at the same time, it's so taboo. And especially in healthcare, where, you know, some of us are working 80 hours a week at least, and there isn't time for you, right? But it's like finding time for you and finding boundaries for yourself with people is so important, especially when you've been taught for all of your life or all of your career to be like the yes man or the yes woman or, you know, like do more and do more. And like, you need to realize it's okay to say no. Like it's okay to prioritize you and give up an opportunity to give yourself space because you need to be able to move on to get to where you want to be. You know, like saying no or taking a pause doesn't mean you've failed. It just means you're literally taking a pause and thinking about the next step you're going to take. And I think we don't say that often enough and we don't believe it often enough. I think that's a big piece and of I guess, it. Yeah. We don't believe it. <laughs> yeah. We don't believe yeah. it. You know, like we all say it, but we don't believe it. And we all think like, oh, if I don't do this now or whatever, it's going to be gone forever, you know? And it's funny because I had that thing with some like, just if we're talking about social media, like some partnerships that like had been asking me for several months now. And I was so scared to like say no or say in the future or not, you know? And like, I put it up for four or five months and I still was able to like, sign up for that, you know? And I just thought to myself, like, man, I've been literally so anxious this whole time about losing an opportunity. And like, it was still here when I felt like I had the time or the capacity for it. So, you know, we have to do that. And I think the third piece of advice I would give is like, it's okay to like do things that feel uncomfortable. It's okay to like struggle, you know, because you're not going to, become better. You're not going to widen your, your palette or your expertise or like have more opportunities if you just stay in like your comfort zone. You know, like asking someone for help is uncomfortable. Talking about your journey out loud and what you've been through is hella uncomfortable, you know, <laughs> but like with time or experience or whatever, the more times you do it, like it gets easier to do. And you don't know who you're inspiring by doing that, you know? And I think like, that's really something I've had to learn to do. You know, as I said before, like thinking I had to be perfect all the time, right? Like it was hard for me to do 
different things or new things or like, this is uncomfortable. You know, like when I shared my first stuff on social media, I was like, I hate attention. Like, I don't want to be an influencer. Like, I don't want to do these things. But kept reminding myself, like, there's a purpose greater than these feelings, like for me to be sharing this. Like, not only is it helping me overcome what I went through, but it's also functioning as inspiration mm-hmm. for for people who might be needing it the way I would have needed this before. I love that. I feel like you were speaking directly to me on yeah, all that's- three of those tips. I'm like, oh, those are good. Wait, do, you any, do you have any tips for Sam before she goes to Colombia? Oh, oh my gosh, Sam. People in Colombia and not being biased or anything um, are so nice. So like, I'm honestly not opposed to like meeting my husband there on this vacation. I'm just saying. Oh my God. Can you imagine? I'm keeping my options open. I love this. You you totally might. Who knows? But everyone is really nice. So like, be sure to... That's why I want to do my Duolingo because I want to like actually socialize and like, Mm -hmm. like, I feel like people appreciate the effort. Like, they'll laugh and be like, your Spanish sucks, your accent is terrible, but like, they appreciate the effort that you try. So I'm going to, I'm going to try. Yeah, I like, you know, in the clinic I work in, we work with people from like over 50 different languages. And like, I try to, to learn like at least one word or something in that language before I go in or like even with my Portuguese patients now that I'm learning you know I've like learned a phrase to say because I understand everything I feel like people's eyes light up when they're kind of like my language like you're you're making an effort yeah yeah and I mean you know I can't even explain what it's like with patients that speak Spanish because they're like wow like this has never happened to me before you know and like I part of the reason I love my job so much but yeah I think that most people the moment that you, they know you are making an effort to understand them, right? You're not like automatically, you know, like as people born yeah. here, right? Like you're not automatically like, you should know English, like, hello, we're like the, the, we're like the world's power or whatever. Like you're like, no, like I'm coming to your country or I'm treating you or whatever. And I'm going to make this effort and people really respond well to that. And I think you're Come on, totally fine. Come on, Duolingo. I'm committed. Definitely have run. Yeah, okay, I was going to say, what is, is the, like the, yes. the best food rec, rec Ooh, for me? Because yeah. I like oh to eat. God. So I need like, They're, yeah. Oh, That's just, what I'm excited okay. about the most. Is like, date me and introduce <laughs> okay. me to my husband after. So, so, so make sure you walk a lot. And mm. I think that's one of the coolest things. Like every time that I go to Colombia, I eat way more than I eat in the States and somehow always lose weight. Yeah. And I think it's because I'm not getting your car, so I'm just going to walk everywhere. Yeah. Awesome. You should. But our food is really hearty. Good. So I'm like, hearty. Um, I'm hearty gal. Yeah. <laughs> I'm big boned. But there's a lot of like snack type foods, I guess, mm. like handheld foods, like buñuelos. I, I don't know if you're going to write this down. Maybe you can listen oh, to I'm your well, I edit the episode, episode, so I'll be taking notes. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. But buñuelos, empanadas. Oh, I love empanadas. Chocolate, yes, are all so good. Like there's arepas de chocolo and then there's regular arepas. And you're in Cartagena, so I don't know that they'll have this, but a huge or a very popular dish, it's also very huge, um, is la bandeja paisa. But that comes from Medellin. And it's like this massive plate of like rice, avocado, mm. egg, oh, chorizo, yum. and 
Those are like all my like, favorite things. You could, oh. yeah, you can have steak on it. You can also have, there's like three or four different types of meats on this, like one plate. And it's supposed to be like breakfast or lunch. I was going to say, it sounds like a good brunch. I want Yes, it's so mm. good. But like I said, I haven't been to Cartagena myself. So they are definitely going to have like their special thing that isn't like, oh, every place in Colombia has this. So like you could totally ask someone there like, hey, what is Cartagena It sounds for? like they have you some know? really good like seafood. Over there too. So yes. I was like, mm, yes. excited. Mm. They definitely do. Cartagena should have this too. It they have like arroz de coco, so Ooh. like coconut rice Whoa. and like fried mm. fish. Sign me up. It's phenomenal. I'm so excited. Yeah. Yum. <laughs> You're gonna yes, have fun. Do lots of dancing, please. Ooh. Dance for oh. me because okay. Okay. Yes. Right. I'll do my best. That's where I need my Colombian <laughs> husband to pull through. <laughs> Yes, Dance there partner. you go. There you go. <laughs> Thank you so much, Stephanie, for coming on with us today. We just, we absolutely love you. And, you know, I just think that everything you're doing is amazing. And where can everybody find you? Oh, no. Thanks for having me, guys. I loved being here. Uh, just find me on IG. That's kind of the only platform I'm on right now. <laughs> but it's Dr. Stephanie Dio is how they can find that. And it's D R S T. P-H-A-N-Y-D-O. Well, thank you so much for thank everything Thank you. I feel today. like you have such a powerful message and I love yeah. your openness and I know that yeah. so many people that resonates with. So thank That's you for amazing. sharing. Well, thanks for having me and allowing me to and be And I'll here. report back my Colombian findings Absolutely. Too. Oh, please do. <laughs> husband in tow. Yes. <laughs> yeah, husband, yes. Well, I will need a picture of said husband. Yes. <laughs> if, if it happens, you get a wedding invite. <laughs> Done. Beautiful. I'm excited. <laughs> Thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. Have a good night. She's the best. Yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for coming on. Make sure you guys are following her on IG. She's so much fun to follow and I learned so much from her. I think it's just nice to have primary again highlighted because yeah. it is the gatekeeper. Yeah, it's super interesting. I mean, how important it is as well. Go schedule a physical. Yes. This is your everyone. episode signed to schedule your annual physical if you have not. You're welcome. It's time. All right, you guys, and make sure you're following us on our Insta. That's at C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore podcast. You can find all of our merch, our goodies, all of our partners, the codes for you for all those savings linked there in the bio. And make sure you download, <laughs> subscribe, rate, and review. Again, like always, you leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts, drop your IG handle, and we will send you out goodie bags. Yes, and for an update on that, I will be sending those out later next week for February and March, just so you guys know. Bless you, my child. Love that for us. <laughs> and oh, and slip those five stars on um, Spotify too. You we know? are seeing that go up and that makes me happy yes, every time I you. see a new one. So keep them coming. Yeah, thanks guys. And make sure you're following us on our IG. That's at Nurse Tori. And at Hey Samantha with two A's. And we will see you next week. All right. Bye. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye.